0: I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. Good morning. My name's Simon, uh, one of the pastors here. You turn with me to page 10 in your World Cup 90 sticker album. Now, I'll turn back to page 1085, John chapter 17. Well, if you've ever written a song, There's uh, two things that are going on. Well, there's sure there are lots of things, but I've never written a song, so I don't know. But one of them is that you've got to say what is true, particularly writing a Christian song, but also you've got to make it fit the time. And so there's a line in this first verse. But what I need, your word has said, is ever only Jesus. Now, the writers had to put in your word has said because it fits the time, otherwise they'd run out of um, words. But actually, I think that's there but what I need your word has said is ever only Jesus because without that bit we might not be able to sing it could we say but what I need is ever only Jesus we know the word says it that's why they put it in there but could we say that it's helpful isn't it to stop and to think about what is going on in other countries look around the windows are open the door is open Our microphone system means there might be people outside who can hear me, but I'm not worried. I'm not scared. I'm not concerned that someone will come in and will open fire or will shut us down or will arrest me, or take you guys away. I'm not concerned about those things. When we go into the homes of Christians in North Korea, when we think back to those guys in communist Europe that Brother Andrew smuggled the Bibles into, we think about everything that we can do in public, them having to do... In private, what does that say about their hearts? What does that say about their priorities that they're willing to stand when they have to do it secretly, in fear? You see, what is a real help to us is that when what is private in a safe way comes out because it gives us an insight, makes us realize just how comfortable we are, makes us realize just how much we take for granted. And it really hits home, that verse that Ruth sent around by email earlier in this week, that when one part of the body hurts, the rest does as well. See, what we need in a safe way is for what is private to come out into the open so that we can understand, so that we can see the glory of God, so that we can see him at work. You see, so often we want what is private to stay private, We don't want the things that we think and the conversations that we have with those around us in private to come out. Imagine every word that I said in every conversation that I have was written down and you guys got to read it. I wouldn't want that. And you wouldn't want it for yourselves. Because when what is private comes out into public, we see the truth. It is a wonderful thing. I am so grateful to Open Doors for all that they do in bringing out in a helpful way what is private so that we can pray, so that we can understand, so that we can give, so that we see the glory of God on display. As we come to our passage this morning, I want you to know that we are on holy ground. Every week we come into this building and we open God's word and someone stands here and explains it. And all of it is special, of course it is. But today I want to tell you that this week, next week and the week after we are on holy ground. And we're on the holy ground because we're being given insight into something that is normally private that is being brought out into the open for us. We're on holy ground because we are hearing the Lord Jesus Pray. See, many times in the accounts of Jesus' life, we're told that he goes off to a quiet place. He goes off somewhere and he prays. But the gospel writers leave it at that. Jesus is on his own. This is his time with his Father, and so we are made do with the disciples. And pretty soon, Jesus comes back and we take the story up again. Rarely are we given access to what he actually prays. See, a man praying isn't unique, but to be brought into the eternal relationship of the Father and the Son is profound indeed. I wonder if you can remember, think back to how we began this series, how John's gospel begins with these words of such depth. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word was with God. The original Greek word means towards. There was this towards relationship. From eternity past, the Father and the Son have this intimate relationship. One God, yet with the Spirit, three persons united in love. And what we see in the merest shadow between the best father-son relationships in earth is seen in magnificent glory between the Father and the Son. And throughout John's Gospel, we see Jesus expressing his unity with his Father. I only do what my Father tells me. I only say what my Father does. The Father and I are one. And today and the next two Sundays, we get to see his heart on display as we listen to him pray. You see, you don't have to be with someone very long to understand what makes them tick. Genuinely, I kind of hope you weren't listening when different people around the church you know me quite well were saying the things that thrill me. It was football, it was fizzy drinks. Thank you, Lacey, for saying a Bible. I'm really glad that came. But it was, it was trivial stuff, wasn't it? The things that make me tick are not profound. They're not deep. Fizzy drinks and football. See, as people talk, their, their personality, their passions are on display. And in this prayer, we get to see what Jesus, what makes Jesus tick. We get to see his passions. We get to see his personality. We see what's important to him. We see what drives him every day. And it leads us to the big question that we're going to be asking today. Do you share Jesus' priorities? And what is important to Jesus, important to you? When we see what makes Jesus tick. Do you see something of yourself in that, or do you see a profound gap? See, our priorities, they shape our lives. They determine how we spend our money, how we uh, use our time, how we think about where our energy is directed. We honour people whose single-minded priority is their work, or their family, or their bank account, or 101 other different things that they could put their mind to. We can go around and say your main priority is this. But John's book is written so that we would see that life to the full is only found when our priorities are lined up with those of Jesus. And far from being restricting, far from being a restrictive thing where we say your priorities have to be lined up with this person and there's nothing you can do about it. Actually, it is freedom. It is freedom for when the sun sets you free, you'll be free indeed. And we will find in Jesus such freeing priorities that we can live as we were always made to do. You see, if your number one priority is to have a family, what happens if it doesn't happen? What happens if it does and there is significant relationship breakdown? If your number one priority is to be rich and successful, what happens if that doesn't happen? What happens if it does and then something else happens and you lose it all? And in the end, what happens to all of our priorities when the final beat of our heart has passed? You see, what we need are priorities that last forever. Priorities that will shape our life now in a way that prepares us for eternity. We need Jesus' priorities. So we're going to listen to him pray. We're going to sit at his feet as he prays to his Father. And we're going to allow him to set the agenda as we see his priorities. And they're not difficult. Two simple priorities. Glory for his father and life for his people. So number one, glory for his father. See, we've seen as we've been going along, if you've been part of our series in John for any amount of time, you will see that glory is important. It's a word used to describe God on display. That when God reveals his glory, we see more of him. That deep understanding of who God is that profound understanding of his worth and how he is worthy of our praise, how he is worthy of our lives. See, back in John 1 and that incredible truth of who the Lord Jesus, the eternal word, is, we then see later on that he has come and done something remarkable in chapter 1 and verse 14. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. But he did it quietly. He was born to poor parents. He was laid in a manger. He grew up in a backwater town. He learned a trade as a carpenter. And for the first 30 years of his life, no one particularly thought massive things about him and thought he was a good guy. Didn't seem to do anything wrong. But actually, it was a quiet Starts, But then one day, he was at a wedding, and they ran out of wine. And gloriously, miraculously, incredibly, Jesus turns this massive amount of water into wine. And John finishes the account that day with these words from chapter 2 and verse 11. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory. We're beginning to see who Jesus is. But those words are quite odd. If you paid attention to what Jesus said to his mom back in verse 4, he said this to Mary. Why do you involve me, Jesus replied. My hour has not yet come. If his hour had not yet come, why did he still do the miracle? If the hour had not come for him to display his glory, why do something that begins to reveal his glory? Well, it's because Jesus' ministry was like a firework display. See, when you go to a firework display, if it works well, there should be two feelings. The first feeling should be, you look up in the sky and you go, ooh, ah, it's fantastic, I love this. But also, the second feeling is a feeling of anticipation. Because if you've been to any kind of firework before, you'll know they don't spend as much money on the beginning as they spend on the end. And so whatever you see at the beginning, oh my words! <laughs> there's a big finish coming. There's something coming that is just gonna blow my mind. Actually, if they just said go and did that, you'd be like, oh, wow, that was, that was impressive. But it's that build-up. It's those fireworks that come before that are amazing, that build on each other, but build that excitement for what is to come. Those earlier fireworks are impressive, but they're only foretastes of this glorious final moment. Jesus turning water into wine was him letting off his first fireworks. But the time for the big one wasn't there he's coming he's coming see that through the sign he revealed his glory but the time the hour for the greatest revelation wasn't there yet and it's a repeated phrase as John continues his book he heals the official son and the man at the pool boom boom ooh ah he feeds the 5,000 he walks on water boom boom ooh ah Yet after these, in chapter 7 and chapter 8, when those who don't like him try and get rid of him, we hear that familiar phrase, his hour had not yet come. But the signs keep coming. Jesus heals a blind man. Boom! And in chapter 11, Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. Boom! Surely that's the biggest moment. What an incredible thing. The glory of the man who can raise the dead. Yet it isn't till chapter 12, after that moment, when we read these words. Chapter 12 and verse 23. Jesus replied, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Is coming. The big finale is coming. The one that all the others were pointing to. The big finish is coming. The moment when we fully see Jesus' glory. And it's at this point that you and me in 21st century Britain, we need to pause. Because most of us know what's coming. We know what that big finish is. We know the end of the story. The place where Jesus' glory is revealed is on the cross. The hour that he's talking about is the hour when he will be held upon the cross. And he will lose his life. He's going to die. In chapters 13 to 16, Jesus has been preparing his disciples for his departure. But as he's talking, we lose some of the drama of this moment because we take a while to get through it. But as he is talking, Judas is with the religious authorities. He's rounding up a group to come and arrest Jesus. In a matter of minutes, as we read these words, Jesus will be bound and led away to stand trial and be crucified. Is it any wonder that as he finishes, he raises his eyes heavenwards Verse 17 and, chapter 17 and verse 1. After this, Jesus said, Jesus said this. He looked towards heaven and prayed. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son, that your son may glorify you. Can you feel the emotion in his voice? Father, Father, the time has come. From the moment that the water in those pots turned to wine, the course was set. In all the highs and all the lows of the past three years, this moment was like a shadow cast over it all. The disciples didn't have a clue, but Jesus knew. He knew where he was going. And now the hour had come. But look where Jesus turns. Father. Father. No other thought in his mind. No other place to go. No other person to turn to in this hour, but his Father. Is that where you turn? Is that where you turn? In moments of desperation. And as he prays, we see his priority for his Father's glory. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. See, those first three words, glorify your Son, they sound a little bit arrogant, don't they? Glorify your Son, Woohoo! Make me great. But the reason is that ultimately, the Father would be glorified through the glorifying of the Son, There's such unity between Father and Son that glorifying Jesus leads to glorifying the Father. Jesus is saying, Father, show me worthy of praise so that I may demonstrate that you are worthy of praise because you have sent me. May people realize who you are because they realize who I am. And the outworking of that is seen in verse four. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me To do. See, Jesus came to earth to complete what the Father had sent him to do. The Father's goal to reconcile all things to himself was being fulfilled through Jesus' work. And the cross was to be the defining moment, that moment that every part was leading towards. That bit which would place him and therefore his father fully on display. Everything that Jesus had said, everything that Jesus had done, leading to this moment. And that would lead to his crowning in victory. A restoration of the glory of John chapter 1 and verse 1. Look at 17.5. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And that would be true for eternity. Lord, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. See, from eternity past to eternity future, the Son is about the glory of his Father. And everything he did on earth was shaped by that clear priority. I'm about my Father's glory. And he came because each of us has a broken view of God. We don't see his glory. We don't recognize his glory. We don't live for his glory. Our lives aren't about him, but they're about us. That's why Jesus came. And the reason it's such a problem is that all of reality is set up to appreciate the glory of God. The heavens declare the glory of God. You and I were made for his glory. Everything, when it's in its rightful place, glorifies God. So the fact that we're not about the glory of God means that we're out of sync with how things are. So as we live in a broken world, as we live with broken hearts, things don't go as they should. We don't have easy lives. Decisions don't always go in the way that we expected them to go. Things don't always go as we would want them to. Because we're not always about the glory of God. And Jesus came to realign us. He came to fix what was broken. He came to reshape us so that we can appreciate the glory of God. He came to display it in such vivid perfection that we'd be drawn to the Father and we would give ourselves to him. See, Jesus' life shows us that it is good news that God's glory is on display. It is a good thing that we can see and recognize and understand who God is. You see, with God in his rightful place, with his glory abundantly seen, wars end. Abuse stops, injustice disappears, and tears are wiped away, never to be returned. There will be no hidden churches in the new creation. Everybody, front and center, will be praising the God of God who saved him, because that's how life was supposed to be. What do you need more than anything else? Whatever your situation is, what do you need? In your daily struggles, whether they're new every day, whether it's the same struggles for the past 10, 20, 30 years, what do you need? You need the glory of God. You need God on display in your life. And if you have God on display, you need more of him on display. It's why it's Jesus' priority, and it's why it should be ours. You will only be the person that you were made to be with God's glory dominating your view. Because when God's glory is our priority, what flows is Jesus' second priority, life for his people. Because the question is, what does it look like? How do we prioritize the glory of God? What does it look like when we are prioritizing the glory of God? It's all about Jesus' work. See, Jesus' goal is to glorify his Father. And that happens in verse 1, through the glorifying of the Son. It's because there's deep unity, but we get more in verse 2. For you, that's the Father, granted him, that's the Son. For you, granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. See, glory for the Father comes when the Son is glorified for giving eternal life. When someone becomes a Christian and is bound for heaven, we praise and we glorify Jesus. Hallelujah, what a saviour. But we also praise and glorify God, the Father. Hallelujah, what a great salvation plan. What love, what wisdom there is. The Father, the one with all authority, granted it, gave it to the Son. And for what purpose? How will the most powerful person in all of reality deal with all authority? He gives eternal life. He restores broken humanity to what it was always supposed to be. What glorious use of authority that is from our God. How do we prioritize the glory of God? How do we make sure that is dominant in our lives? We marvel at the gospel. We marvel at the work that Jesus has done in this world we apply it to ourselves every day each day we say how is the gospel going to shape how I'm going to live today how is the fact that Jesus the eternal word made his dwelling among us going to affect how I live today how is the fact that his spirit dwells within me how is the fact that he gave himself for me going to affect how I live today how is the fact that we are loved so intensely that the son of God came to die so that his people would have life going to shape our decision-making every day. Fullness of life, eternal life, that is Jesus' priority for you. And is that your priority for yourself, for your family, for your friends, for your work colleagues, for those at school? Is that your biggest priority for them? But what does it look like? See, the Bible tells us that when a Christian dies, they go to heaven, they are with Jesus. But that's not the end. We won't spend eternity in heaven. You see, heaven is the place where Jesus is, and earth is the place where we are. And when Jesus comes again, what we call the second coming, heaven and earth will be brought together. And then, what? What do you think is going to happen next? Actually, when you stop and think about it, what do you think eternity in the new creation will be like? Jesus tells us in verse 3. Now, this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. See, Jesus' priority is life for his people. And that means to know him and then know him more. I wonder when you think of heaven, when you think of new creation, when you think of eternity, what excites you? What excites you about being in the new creation? Because the answer to that question will go a long way towards shaping your priorities in this life. If you're mainly looking forward to perfect food, to the fact that an apple in new creation will taste better than a bacon sandwich now, if that's your priority, then you'll invest your time and energies in food and drink right now. If it's restored relationships and good company and the opportunity to meet Old Testament Bible characters, well, then you'll prioritize that now and invest in relationships and try and make as many friends as possible because it's all about being with other people. If it's peace or justice or beauty, then that will take your focus now. If it's relaxation and the fact that you won't have a job anymore, let me assure you you will, then your life will mainly be about that now. But eternal life isn't primarily about that stuff. Glorious though lots of that is. Eternal life is about Jesus. It is about knowing him and about knowing him more. Which actually is fantastic because we can start that now. I don't know what it tastes like to taste a perfect apple. I don't know what it's like to talk with a sinless person. I don't know what it's like to be completely relaxed and at rest. But I know Jesus. And so in one sense, eternal life has begun already because I know Jesus. You see, the biblical vision of eternity is captivating. It is satisfying and it is life-giving precisely because Jesus is captivating and satisfying and life-giving. We set up camp at the blessings and the benefits rather than with him. Eternity is Jesus. So to be excited about eternity, we are excited about Jesus now. If we're prioritizing eternity, we prioritize Jesus now. Verse 2 and 3 tell us it's all about him. Eternal life is knowing Christ. Eternal life is given. We don't earn it because we can't. We don't deserve it because we don't glorify God. Yet in his love, Jesus went to the cross where he became the God-ignoring, non-glorifying sinner that you are and that I am, so that we could have life knowing him. Every barrier between him and me destroyed because Jesus took it all upon himself on the cross. See, Jesus' priority is life for his people, and that means knowing him more. Is that your priority? difficult question is it is Jesus and knowing him more your priority if we had your private conversations if we had an account of every moment of what you do during the day would it reflect that Jesus and life in him is your priority is your life built around getting to know him better spending more time with him investing in eternity or are you more taken with the blessings of Jesus than with him himself because they will fade. They will fade away. But Jesus never will. The next year will be a time of huge change for us here in our church. The commissioning and the sending of a team to go and revitalize Philip Street Chapel. The appointment of a new senior pastor here to replace Neil. Other changes are ahead, some that we know about, some that we won't know about. But it will be a time of Profound change in the midst of all of the emotions about how things were, maybe preferences about how things should be. What should cut through the noise? What should cut through the noise? Priorities of Jesus. As we come to the church review later this month, as we reflect on the past year and look to the future, what should our guiding priorities be? Glory for the Father and life for his people if we prepare for significant change both here and in Bedminster what should our priorities be glory for the father and life for his people and how do we prepare for that with God's help we make them our priorities today we say from now whatever's gone before I thank you for the cross but from now My life is about glory for the Father and life for his people. How kind of our God it is to let us listen into this conversation, to let us see the heart of his Son on display, to enable us to understand something of how Father and Son relate to each other and to give us his Spirit so that we may follow after the Lord Jesus. We are seeing his heart, his glory, his love. Build your life around it. Take his priorities to be yours and bring glory to the only true God. Let's pray. Earlier on, we sang. Jesus, we want to know you and know you more. And I pray that each of us would mean it, mean it this afternoon, mean it tomorrow, mean it in the weeks to come, mean it for eternity. Father, we praise and thank you for giving us this glimpse, drawing us into this relationship between Father and Son. Father, I pray that as we see what drives the heart of the Lord Jesus, may it be that that drives us. As we think of ourselves, as we think of our brothers and sisters here, as we think about our persecuted brothers and sisters around the world, I pray that we would be driven by those priorities of your glory and life for your people. Father, forgive me that that isn't what drives me. Forgive me that when my heart is on display, it isn't what we see here from Jesus. Thank you that there is forgiveness and mercy of course. And thank you that there is power through your spirit so that our hearts may become more like the Lord Jesus, so that our lives might better reflect his priorities and that our future is set because of his death. Father, prepare us for eternity. And as we apply the gospel to ourselves each day, as we rejoice in all of its glory, may we sing to God good a good, great things he has done. And may there be a cry of our hearts each night for your glory.